MSW Media. Thanks to Thrive Cosmetics for supporting the Daily Beans. Get luxury, high-performance cosmetics that highlight your best features. For every purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive. Go to thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans for 15% off your first order. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. Today, waiting for the Department of Justice to drop its 40-page response to Donald's filing for a special master, the Department of Justice prepares for politically charged prosecutions. Donald bragged he knew illicit details about Macron from intelligence. The RNC refuses to pay Trump's legal bills over the Naralago documents case. And Officer Hodges testifies against the insurrectionists who crushed him in a door on January 6th. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody, it's AG Big Show today. I'm going to go over all of the news with you and then we'll go over the good news. I just want to thank everybody who bought some of those crimes and crimes and crime shirts and just know, y'all, for some reason, the third party vendor sent everybody a size small. We are working to send out the correct sizes. So I guess you get a bunch of free small shirts. Yay. <laughs> you can take them uh, down to the uh, elementary school and uh, give them to the kids. Tell them it's some cool new uh, hip thing that, you, you know, only cool people understand. And then they can walk around with all the Donald Trump crimes on their shirts. All right, we do have a lot of news to get to today. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, first up, the long-awaited DOJ 40-page filing. It actually ended up being about 36 pages. But I wanted to tell you about something else that happened uh, really quickly while we were waiting for this filing that came out five minutes before midnight. Um, there was an amicus brief filed in this case, Interest and Identity of Amica Curie. Um, and they basically say former federal prosecutors Donald Ayer, Gregory Brower, John J. Farmer, uh, Stuart Gerson, Peter Keisler, William Weld, uh, we know who he is, and former New Jersey Governor Christy Todd Whitman. Uh, they all filed a brief uh, in support of the DOJ. Well, the DOJ hadn't made its filing yet, but basically saying Trump shouldn't get a, a special master. Um, they say that the motion of a special master to adjudicate his claims of privilege um, pursuant to a duly issued warrant for the reasons that follow and regardless of one's political views, it's clear there's no legal support for relief. It should be denied for three reasons. First, it's the, the relief he wants is unprecedented. He has not cited any precedent involving the appointment of a special master to adjudicate a claim of executive privilege. Mostly it's done for attorney-client privilege. Second, Congress has established specific procedures set out in the Presidential Records Act through which the former president may challenge a sitting president's invocations of executive privilege, and there's only one way to do it, and the former president's motion ignores the requirements of the, of the Presidential Records Act, uh, specifically the requirement any challenge by a former president to the rejection of his claim of privilege has to be brought up in the jurisdiction available under this law. That is the United States District Court for the District of Columbia. That's what I've been saying. Uh, and uh, let's see what third is. The appointment of a special master to adjudicate these claims would be a waste of time 
because the claim of executive privilege against the executive branch is frivolous. So they wrote up a whole amicus brief on that. But let's get to the government's uh, filing. I'm going to scroll up here to the beginning. Um, they open up by saying, you know, on August 22nd, two weeks after we searched Mar-a-Lago, uh, the plaintiff filed a motion for oversight and additional relief. In his motion, he wanted, among other things, that the court appoint a special master, the government return to plaintiff certain property, and the following day, the court ordered the plaintiff to file a supplement answering questions like, what are you doing here? What is this for? Do you want injunctive relief? Whatever. Uh, the court entered a preliminary order uh, the next day on their behalf. In compliance, we hereby file our public response, including plaintiff's request uh, for the appointment of special master. They opened up by saying, the legal issues presented and the relief requested in the filings are narrow, notwithstanding the wide-ranging meritless accusations leveled against us in your motion. Your filings present three issues, whether the plaintiff is currently entitled to the return of any property, to injunctive relief, and to the appointment of a special master. Not only does plaintiff lack standing to raise these claims at this juncture, but even if his claims were properly raised, plaintiff would not be entitled to the relief he seeks. <clears throat> so they, they open right up swinging. You don't have standing here, and even if you did, your merits suck. So they go over the summer th summary of the argument. They want a special master. They say here, the court, this court lacks jurisdiction to adjudicate plaintiff's Fourth Amendment challenges to the validity of the search warrant and his arguments for not returning or suppressing materials seized. For those reasons and others, y'all have shown no basis for the court to grant injunctive relief. Plaintiff is not likely going to succeed on the merits. He will suffer no injury, let alone irreparable injury, and the harms to the government and the public would far outweigh any benefit to Donald. They also put a little footnote in here saying, you also wanted a more detailed receipt of the property seized. The court ordered to file it under seal. We did. We gave a more detailed report. We filed it today under seal. Uh, although the receipt of property already provided you uh, a copy of this at the time of the search, um, and it was sufficient under Federal Criminal Procedure 50 or 41, we are prepared, given the extraordinary circumstances, to unseal the, the more detailed receipt and provide it immediately to the plaintiff. So they're willing to unseal that receipt. That's important and cool to note. So they, they go on to say, even if you have jurisdiction to entertain Donald's claims, uh, judge, appointment of a special master is unnecessary. It would harm important government interests, including national security. Um, it's a, disfavored in a case such as this. It's always done for attorney-client privilege. This is executive privilege, and he doesn't have any executive privilege standing. They go through the factual background, and it starts to get really interesting here. They go through the timeline, most of which we know because of these uncovered letters from the National Archives that Trump appointee or Trump associate, not appointee, but Trump associate John Solomon's been releasing. Uh, National Archives, upon observing what it was missing, um, it was missing presidential records from Trump, they attempted to obtain the missing records voluntarily, and they talk about going throughout 2021 and all the letters. They say observing that 15 boxes contained highly classified records, NARA sent a referral to the Department of Justice. So they got those 15 boxes in January. They saw a bunch of highly classified documents in them, made a referral to the Department of Justice, and it was the executive branch advising an executive branch giving stuff to members of the executive branch. So... This Trump, the, you know, the incumbent president, Biden, has control over executive privilege. 
And so the, the National Archives said, Donald, we're sending this to the FBI. Donald said, no, wait, please wait until the end of April. Um, I don't want it. Um, I don't want you to do that. And um, they said, look, it's, it's a couple of weeks went by. And uh, the White House counsel said to the National Archives, the National Archivist, you make the call. And the National Archivist said, this isn't even close. Um, at the acting archivist's advised counsel of the former president, there are important national security interests in the FBI and others in the intelligence community for getting access to this, these materials, these 15 boxes. According to National Archives, among the materials, 100 documents with classification markings comprising more than 700 pages. Some include the highest levels of classification. Accordingly, we're seeking immediate access to these materials so to facilitate the necessary assessment that needs to be conducted within the executive branch. These are executive branch duties. The president has a duty. The intelligence community has a duty to do a risk assessment. And the Department of Justice has a duty to investigate this. So that's the executive privilege that belongs to Biden. He gets to decide. Biden said, National Archivist, you decide. And the archivist made the call. It had already been 30 days anyway, which is what he gets under the Presidential Records Act to file a, uh, you know, a, a, you know, to, to contest, I guess, the National Archives handing it over to the FBI. But in a May 10 response, the National Archives rejected his request because National Archives noted that significant time, four weeks, had elapsed. Second, National Archives stated Trump could not assert executive privilege to prevent others within the executive branch from reviewing the documents, calling the decision not a close one. Remember, we've talked about that. So, the FBI gets the boxes, they review them, and they find national security implications uh, of their improper storage. So they finally get the 15 boxes, and they put that in here. Between May 16 and 2020, finally obtaining the boxes, FBI agents conducted a preliminary review, and this is where we find out there's 184 unique documents bearing classification markings. This is where we found out about Humant and Sigint and um, Orcon and Noforn and all that stuff that I talked about in earlier episodes. After obtaining the evidence indicating the additional classified records remained on the premises, okay, so we have evidence that after we got those boxes, there were more classified records, we sought their return through the issuance of a grand jury subpoena. So Trump has been saying, you just surprised me by raiding my private home. We were cooperating. No, we got the boxes. Then we learned there was more stuff, more classified documents. We issued a subpoena. Because a lot of people were like, well, why did you go to a search warrant? Why didn't you issue a subpoena first? They did. Uh, through its investigation, the FBI developed evidence indicating that even after the 15 boxes were given to NARA, dozens of additional boxes remained on the premises. So there's the mole, right? <laughs> I think it's the Secret Service, but who knows? So they got a grand jury subpoena. They went down there. Um, it was directed to the custodian of records for the office of Donald J. Trump. And it requested any and all documents, et cetera, bearing classification markings. And then they listed a whole ton of classification markings. Um, the subpoena's return date was May 24th. Counsel sought an extension. Trump wanted an extension. Uh, after denying the request, the government offered counsel an extension for complying with the subpoena until June 7th. And then they went down on June 3rd. Uh, counsel for the former president contacted DOJ on the evening of June 2nd and said, the FBI agents meet him at the following day to pick up the responsive documents. In response to the subpoena, counsel for the former president provided a limited number of documents accompanied by a cert certificate, a certification that all responsive documents were produced. 
because in that subpoena, we need you to do a thorough search, find all remaining classified documents, wrap them up, and give them to us. And this is what's on page nine, and this this is pretty amazing. Um, the production, uh, they produced a single red weld envelope, double wrapped in tape containing the documents. The individual present as the custodian records produced and provided the signed certification letter, and it stated the following, in part, based on the information that's been provided to me, I am authorized to certify on behalf of the office of Donald J. Trump the following. A diligent search was conducted, diligent, of the boxes that were moved from the White House to Florida. The search was conducted after receipt of the subpoena in order to locate any and all documents that are responsive to the subpoena. Any and all responsive documents accompany this certification and no copywritten notation, uh, no copy, written notation or reproduction of any kind was retained as to uh, any responsive document. I swear or affirm it's true and correct to the best of my knowledge. So whoever wrote this, Bob or Corcoran, is now a witness and they should withdraw as counsel and get a lawyer. But it, what's also interesting is when they were on the premises, um, they had said that there were no other records stored in any private office space or any other location. All available boxes were searched, and the former president's counsel explicitly prohibited government personnel from opening or looking inside any of the boxes that remained in the storage room, giving no opportunity for the government to confirm that no documents with classification markings remained. They wouldn't let them. Probably said, you don't have a warrant. So they went and got one, <laughs> right? Uh, once in a secure government setting, the FBI conducted a review, uh, and they found 38 unique documents bearing classification, five confidential, 16 secret, 17 top secret, and they observed markings reflecting sensitive compartments and dissemination, and dissemination controls. Counsel for former president offered no explanation as to why boxes of government records, including 38 documents with classification markings, remained at the premises nearly five months after the production of the 15 boxes and nearly one and a half years after the end of the administration. That's the envelope they got back. That's just that little envelope from the subpoena. And they signed off saying this is the rest of it. 38 documents. But after further investigation indicated that a re the response to the subpoena was incomplete, the obstructive conduct occurred in connection with the response to the subpoena, and that classified information remained on the premises, DOJ obtained a court-authorized search warrant. That's the obstruction. That's what we thought it was. The letter that got signed off, they said this is the rest, and it wasn't. And they say, through further investigation, we uncovered multiple sources of evidence indicating that the response to the May 11th grand jury subpoena was incomplete and that you still had shit in your house. And that's when we did the search warrant. And once they did the search warrant, they found, let's see here, during the August 8th execution of the search warrant, the government seized 33 boxes, containers, or items of evidence, which contained over 100 classified records. A hundred. A hundred. When they issued the subpoena, they got 38. They found a hundred more. And there's a photo attached showing some of these. And they talk uh, a little bit about, uh, you know, the passport thing. Uh, they they addressed that as one of the, the lies, basically. They said, hey, um, yeah, the passports, okay, so if you look at the warrant, it says we can take anything that has classified markings on it, 
anything in the same box or container that ha- of the thing that has a classified marking and any other boxes stored in the vicinity of the box that has the classified document. So it's not just, are we going to come take the classified documents? And the reason is, is because what they found, and they had evidence to understand that the documents weren't just in the storage. They were in his private office. They were in his desk drawers. And when they went in to a desk drawer and found classified marked materials, some unfolded and some folded, they, his passports weren't in there too. And so they seized all of that evidence. And the reason that it's important to be able to take stuff in proximity to the classified documents is because it proves he knew they were there if that makes sense. If it's intermingled with your personal stuff, you can't say, I didn't know. I didn't know they were there. They were in your fucking desk drawer under your fucking passports and intermingled with your Playboys or whatever the fuck. That is evidence. And that's why they're like, we'll give your passports back, but we don't have to because that's evidence that implicates you for intent, that you knew it was there even when you either had your lawyer sign off or your lawyer signed off without telling you. And if your lawyer signed off without telling you and they're going rogue and they're the ones who stole all this information and you really didn't know, do you think that they're going to go to prison for you, dude? Obstruction of justice is 20 years max. No, they're going to withdraw as counsel and they're going to get lawyers. So they addressed the passport thing. Um, notwithstanding counsel's representation of the June 3rd meeting, the materials from the White House were only located in the storage room. That's what they said. Classified documents were, in fact, found both in the storage room and in the former president's office. Moreover, the search cast serious doubt on the claim in the certification and now in the motion that there had been a diligent search for records responsive to the grand jury subpoena. In the storage room alone, FBI agents found 76 documents. All of the classified documents seized in the August 8th search have been segregated from the rest of the seized documents and are being separately maintained and stored in accordance with procedures for handling storage and handling and storing classified information. That the FBI in a matter of hours recovered twice as many documents with classification markings as the diligent search in quotes that the former president's counsel and other representatives had weeks to perform calls into serious question the representations made in the June 3rd certification and cast doubt on the extent of the cooperation in this matter. Uh, the privilege review team has completed its work. So we had an on-site privilege review team. They did the privilege review. You don't need that. You don't need a special master. They also talk about the plaintiff lacking standing to seek judicial oversight uh, in relation to any presidential records. Plaintiff asked for a special master Uh, He asserted the requested relief is necessary to ensure uh, we can properly evaluate and avail myself of the important protections of Rule 41 of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure, particularly to the ability to move for the return of seized property under Rule 41G. That's what a special master does, right? They go through, they look for privileged stuff, and they return it shit to you. But in order for an owner of property to invoke Rule 41, he must show that he has possessory interest in the property seized. You have to prove that you own this shit. You do not. So a special master is moot, even though you, I mean, aside from the fact you filed it two weeks too late, aside from the fact this court has no jurisdiction, and aside from the fact you don't have standing because you can't assert executive privilege, you don't own this. Why go through it to see what you, what we give back? You don't get any of it back. 
and all of the other stuff seized that was touching it and that was around it, that's fucking evidence. We get to keep that too. We'll give you your passports back though because we're nice. And then we did find, our privilege team found a couple of papers that aren't classified that, that are attorney-client privilege, you know, communications with, with a lawyer. We'll give those back too. We don't want those. We don't give a fuck about those. So plaintiff has no property interest, so he's not going to win on the merits. He's not entitled to the return of property or to injunctive relief. Um, the thing I would just explain, he's not entitled to return of property. As far as injunctive relief, uh, he seeks a preliminary injunction prohibiting us from to con continuing to review the materials. Uh, that's wholly unwarranted. Um, a party seeking preliminary injunction must establish, one, it has substantial likelihood of success on the merits. You do not. Two, a reparable injury will be suffered unless the injunction issues. Also not true. Uh, three, the threatened injury to the movement outweighs whatever damage the proposed introduction may, injunction may cause the opposing party. And it certainly does not because they need those materials to conduct a risk assessment for national security and to help them in an ongoing investigation. Both executive branch duties, right? Both executive branch duties. And so, no, our need for this is way more important than any damage that you might face. If issued, the injunction would not be adverse to the public interest. Also, doesn't really pass that test either. So if we scroll through, there's just, there's so much in here. Um, the third, as to the third requisite for injunctive relief, threatened injury to the movement, uh, we went over the, I just went over these a second ago, far outweighed by the damage the proposed injunction may cause to the government. So this is what I was telling you about. They need it to do this risk review. DOJ is in the midst of an ongoing criminal investigation pertaining to potential violations of the Espionage Act, as well as obstruction of justice and unlawful concealment and removal of government records. The intelligence community is also reviewing the seized documents to assess the potential risk to national security that would result if these materials were disclosed while they were unlawfully stored at the premises. An injunction barring any further review of these documents would therefore not only hinder ongoing criminal investigations, but would also thwart entirely an ongoing and sensitive review of risk to national security. So, no, we need it more than you. Even if the former president had standing, which he doesn't, the appointment of a special master would be unnecessary and would interfere with legitimate government interests. So we went over that. Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 53 counsels against appointment of special masters in circumstances such as these. Um, reference to Master Rule 53 is to be the exception and not the rule. Um, they say in, in, uh, in this procedural posture, a special master can be appointed without the party's consent only to address pretrial and post-trial matters that cannot be effectively and timely addressed. We're in the pre-indictment stage here, guys. Appointment of a special master is neither necessary nor appropriate to address executive privilege in this case. Uh, and they make a very good argument there. Um, those vital executive branch needs, again, as I said, far outweigh any limited burden of the general interest served by executive privilege. So even if you had executive privilege, we need it more. And we're also the executive branch. And we hold the executive privilege. A former president cannot successfully assert executive privilege against the executive branch in its performance of executive functions. That's just a great, great statement. Um, and it pretty much speaks for itself, but they do a lot of case law here. They do say the framework set forth in the Presidential Records Act and its implementing regulations provide for the assertion of privileges by a former president, including executive privilege. Uh, and normally these battles are done by 
If Congress wants something, then you step in and claim executive privilege, even if you're the former executive. You probably can't do it, but you have a stronger case than if it's the executive that you're trying to keep it from. Um, and then they debunk all the lawsuits, that all the case law that they cited in, in their filing. Even if a former president could, in some circumstances, assert executive privilege against the executive branch, no such assertion would be valid here. Um, they say the executive branch is reviewing records at issue in furtherance of two core executive functions. Again, investigations and risk assessment. Access to the records is essential to the performance of those functions. Those vital executive branch interests far outweigh any burden on the institutional interests of privilege. Um, particularly where, as here, the former president has not even attempted to establish any particularized harm from the review. You didn't even say what would, you know, why you're mad about it. <laughs> Then they cite U.S. v. Nixon, which I figured they would. We could, we'll probably talk about that, um, Andrew and I, on, on next week's um, cleanup on aisle 45. And the executive branch's review here also serves another compelling interest that was not at issue in Nixon. The records at issue include sensitive, highly classified documents. And again, that explains the intelligence community's need for a risk assessment. Appointment of a special master to review the materials for a claim of executive privilege would be inconsistent with the principles of equity. Um, that's also a very good argument. Um, the government has an urgent interest to continue the review, both for the purposes of its criminal investigation and to assess potential national security risks by improper storage. Appointment of a special master would undoubtedly delay both processes, including because a special master would likely need to obtain a security clearance and specific authorization from relevant entities within the intelligence community to review particularly sensitive materials. And third, the appointment of a special master for purposes of reviewing executive privilege claims is not necessary to protect any personal rights belonging to the former president. Um, this case does not involve the search of an attorney's office and attorney-client privilege issues presented are not complex, voluminous, or novel. <laughs> oh, I fucking love it. It's like, you're not a lawyer, you, <laughs> and uh, this isn't new, okay? we This isn't our first go-around. Um, we don't need a special master, like in the case of Rudy's 18 phones and 8,000 boxes, or Michael Cohen's uh, special master. Those are lawyers. So, you know, everything that they write from a lawyer's point of view, could have the potential of attorney-client privilege. But they don't even bring up attorney-client privilege. Trump doesn't in his filing. He's just talking about uh, executive. And they had a privilege team on site, a privilege review team, a taint team, as we call them. The court should not appoint a special master, but if it does, here's the final page. Here's, here's our requirements. Uh, first, the court should direct the parties to confer and submit a joint list of candidates by September 7th, a week from now, if you do this. Second, special masters should be required to submit an affidavit concerning any potential basis for disqualification before this court issues its appointment order. Third, the court should specify the following duties and impose the following limitations. The special master should be limited to uh, assessing the plaintiff's claims of attorney-client privilege over the set of potentially privileged documents identified by the privilege review team. So <laughs> they're like, you can't have any of the, here's what you can go through. You can go through what our privilege team pulled out and you can look at those. If the special master must be permitted to review classified documents in order to avoid unnecessary delay, the special master should already possess a top secret SCI security clearance. Special master should be allowed to communicate ex parte with the court 
or either party to facilitate the review, although final decisions must be provided to both parties to allow them to seek the court's review. Like, we get to read it over and see if we're cool with it. Uh, Any documents that reflect the special master's ruling, uh, including orders, privilege logs, or other records, should be preserved and filed under seal with the court, but made available to both parties. And the party should have 10 days after receiving it to to review it, um, both legal and factual issues. And the court should impose a deadline for the special master's review with final decisions on all disputed documents. Everything needs to be done by September 30th. As discussed above, the volume of material at issue is not large. So we're not talking like Rudy-sized stuff. And anyway, that is the filing. Um, So it's very interesting. The photo that they have is uh, very disturbing. Actually gave me one of those, the same feeling that you get when, you know, your house is robbed or somebody's in your personal property or your personal space or violates you um, just to see those top secret um, TSSCI and, and, and folded documents and unfolded documents just strewn about on the floor for, you know, for evidence photos 2A, um, some heavily redacted is just, it's, um, it's disturbing that he had those after he or his lawyers signed a letter saying they had done a very diligent search and handed everything over. It's gross. So anyway, that's the filing. More, uh, we will go into this in depth uh, next week, Andrew and I, on Cleanup on All 45. Merrick Garland is taking proactive steps to insulate the Department of Justice from politicization in the face of potentially politically charged prosecutions. He has set new restrictions on the political activities of some Justice Department employees, while also strongly reminding them of already established rules and policies. I am very familiar with the Hatch Act, (laughs) and they get into that too. Political appointees, those workers who are hired by a presidential administration and are not building their careers in the department, are essentially barred from attending partisan political events, such as fundraisers and rallies. Garland, in an August 30th memo, said he was ending the longstanding policy of allowing appointees to attend those events if they participated passively and obtained prior approval from the department. He added that from now on, appointees will be barred from attending political events during presidential election years, even if the event is for a family member and they cannot extend or attend political events on the evening of Election Day in a personal capacity. Quote, as department employees, We've been entrusted with the authority and responsibility to enforce the laws of the United States in a neutral and impartial manner. In fulfilling this responsibility, we must do all we can to maintain public trust and ensure that politics, both in fact and appearance, does not compromise or affect the integrity of our work. Garland also issued a memo on abiding by the Hatch Act, the good old Hatch Act, which walls off public servants from using their government posts to boost their political parties or candidates. That says to me, Garland is expecting politically charged prosecutions in the future. They already are undergoing and participating in a lot of politically charged investigations, including the Sidney Powell PAC stuff, the fraudulent electors scheme, all of that in in January 6th, possibly looking into Trump for seditious conspiracy with regards to the violence at the Capitol on January 6th, obstructing official proceeding we know is in there from the Judge Carter decision, along with conspiracy to defraud the United States. And so, you know, it's just this extra step of insulation from politics. And, you know, I think this is a good idea, particularly 
when the president is under so many criminal investigations, former president, I should say. And among the information that was seized at Mar-a-Lago was a document about French President Emmanuel Macron. And according to Donald Trump, it was about his sex life. This is according to Rolling Stone and a report that they put out Monday evening. The report cited two sources that Trump has had a tawdry interest in Macron for years and even bragged recently that he knew illicit details about his love life. Quote, the former president even claimed that he learned about some of this dirt through intelligence he had seen or been briefed on, according to sources that spoke to Rolling Stone. It's unknown if any of that was among the documents taken from the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago, though on the list was something that involved the French president. It simply wasn't specific about the details. Quote, but the mere revelation of his existence triggered a transatlantic freakout, according to sources. It was enough for those who heard the Trump talk about Macron to recall his brag about knowing the naughty ways of the world leader that not very many people knew. The report explained that officials on both sides of the Atlantic were trying to figure out what Trump had on Macron. There are further questions about why Trump would steal such documents when he left the White House unless it was to use it. Quote, the officials in both nations wanted to know if this discovery signified some kind of national security breach or if it amounted to a frivolous but stolen keepsake, said Rolling Stone. I have to tell you, he is a transactional narcissist. Everything he took was either to destroy and protect himself or to trade for something, right? Whether it's money, uh, other secrets to blackmail somebody, trade for silence. He's very transactional. And that's what this was about. Either that or, you know, for trophies, which is what they say here, like a keepsake. But um, I don't know. We don't know if this is that. It's just something that uh, raised the uh, eyebrows of both nations. And ABC News reporter Jonathan Carl wrote in his post-Donald Trump administration book that on January 20th, as Trump was flying from the White House for the final time, he spoke to the head of the Republican Party and threatened to start his own party. RNC chair Ronna Romney McDaniel reportedly told Trump that if he started a third party, the RNC would stop paying his legal bills, which were costing the party millions. Politico reported Tuesday, however, that that decision has ended. According to the report, any legal fees having to do with Trump's retention of government documents will not be paid by the RNC. I guess even they have their limit. The report explained that Trump hired Chris Keis, a former Florida solicitor general, to represent him in the FBI search case. It was announced on Tuesday that he had hired him. He saw him on TV and he liked him. Thus far, Trump has suffered with a legal team that is moving quickly to appear on television, but not in filing legal defense for his client. Christina Bob may be under her own legal problems after signing court documents saying Trump had already turned over all of the documents, which turned out to be false. Politico also reported that for his legal services, Kais will be paid by Trump, who regularly stiffs lawyers and business partners when it comes time to sign the bill. And Metropolitan Police Department officer Daniel Hodges, who has spoken publicly about being attacked at the Capitol, including before the January 6th committee, appeared in court Tuesday for the trial of three Capitol defendants, Patrick McCooey, the third, Tristan Stevens, and David Mahaffey, or Mahaffey. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, nor do I care. This case is before Judge Trevor McFadden, Trevor, Trump appointee, the only federal judge in D.C. who has acquitted a January 6th defendant. McCooey 
the Justice Department alleged, threw his body weight against Hodges and pressed a stolen police shield against him, citing a video that went viral after the January 6th attack. Federal prosecutors wrote this in a brief that Officer Hodges was screaming in pain, crushed between the shield held by the defendant, McCoey, and the door, the doorframe of the Capitol building. Hodges, who has said in media appearances that Donald Trump has a cult-like control over his supporters, told the court on Tuesday the attack hurt a great deal and that McCoy's actions contributed to his injuries that day. Quote, it combined with everything else that was going on made it difficult to breathe, he said, being crushed by the shield and the people behind it, leaving me defenseless and injured. There's no good way to fight back against it, he testified. You have to endure the pressure that it creates. Hodges testified he had, quote, never been in the United States Capitol building before January 6th and that his radio was stolen and he was separated from his platoon. Quote, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know whether there was an avenue of egress for us to take. I was worried that we would be put up against the wall, literally and figuratively. After being crushed in the tunnel on the west side of the Capitol, he eventually headed away from the rioters and into the Capitol with the help of another officer who had pulled him to safety. Quote, I knew maintaining that position and staying upright was untenable. If I was there much longer, being assaulted in such a way, I knew it was very likely I wouldn't be able to maintain consciousness and I would become a liability to the other officers. He was worried about becoming a liability to other officers more than he was worried about his own safety. Hodges said he felt relief, but also a little embarrassment that he had to be pulled back so soon after coming under attack and having another rioter rip his gas mask off saying he had wanted to return as soon as possible to the battle. The government showed images of Hodges' swollen hand, his bleeding bottom lip, and Hodges also testified he had a contusion on the top of his head after the attack. Assistant U.S. Attorney Kimberly Pascal, one of the federal prosecutors in the case, wielded a police shield during the trial, illustrating how, she said, McCooey used it against Hodges and the police line. McCooey... Hodges said, was among the January 6 rioters who were attempting to get police officers to stand down during the attack. Quote, he was trying to get us to surrender and join them, he said. McCoy's co-defendants, Stevens and Mahaffey, have also been charged in connection to the attack on police in the tunnel on January 6th. Mahaffey, who online January 6th investigators nicknamed Tunnel Commander, is charged with a felony count of assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers as well as felony obstruction of an official proceeding and felony civil disorder. Federal prosecutors say he was telling rioters when and where to push on the police line, how to enter and exit in the most efficient manner, and handing a shield into rioters to set up a wall against the police. Stevens, federal prosecutors say, hit Capitol Police Sergeant Gunnell with a police shield. He's charged with three counts of assaulting, resisting, or impeding certain officers as well as obstructing an official proceeding and civil disorder. As we know, more than 850 people have been arrested and charged in connection with the attack, and the FBI has the names of hundreds of more rioters who have not yet been arrested. The total number of people who unlawfully entered the Capitol was more than 2,500, and hundreds more are accused of assaulting law enforcement but not entering the Capitol. More than 350 defendants have pled guilty, and more than a dozen have been found guilty at trial. Earlier this week, Proud Boy Joshua Pruitt, we talked about this yesterday, was sentenced to four and a half years in federal prison, while Howie Richardson was sentenced to three and a half years after he used a Trump flag to assault an officer. Two defendants have been sentenced to record-setting sentences of more than seven years in prison. That's Robertson, a former Virginia police officer, and Guy Reffitt, a Texas extremist 
whose own son tipped off the FBI about his father. Federal prosecutors are seeking the longest sentence yet, 17 and a half years in federal prison, for that ex-New York cop, Thomas Webster, who tackled a D.C. police officer to the ground and tried to strike him with a flagpole. Although it appears that Judge Mehta in the case is a little bit reluctant about the 17 and a half year sentencing recommendation. We'll have more on that as the story develops. All right, everybody, please, we're going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll be right back with the good news. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. I absolutely love Thrive Cosmetics. It's all I use now. They make high-performance beauty and skincare products made with clean, skin-loving ingredients. They are planet-friendly. They are have a bunch of goodwill in the community and just their stuff is so great. No parabens, no sulfates, no phthalates. Their products are certified 100% vegan, 100% cruelty-free. It's an amazing company. And one of my favorites, of course, is their famous Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It is a best-selling product. It has over 20,000 five-star reviews, including one for me. It's easy to see why. It lasts all day. It doesn't clump. It doesn't smudge. It doesn't flake. And it doesn't run. It mimics the look of lash extensions without any damaging glue. It uses clean, nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, healthier-looking lashes over time, so it actually helps your lashes over time. Plus, it's incredibly easy to remove. The tubing formula slides right off with warm water and a washcloth. You don't even need soap. I'm also a huge fan of their brilliant eye brightener, a little bit under the brow, a little bit right in the, right by the nose. It's a cream-to-powder highlighter stick that brightens and opens up your eyes. Uh, it gives you an instant eye lift. It helps you look like you've had plenty of restful sleep, even if you haven't. <laughs> which sometimes I don't get. Uh, a vibrant, well-rested look is, is what you need. 13 different shimmering shades, too. Right on that bottom, you know, that bottom lid? Uh, it's just so great, the eye brightener. What makes Thrive Cosmetics better? Not just their amazing products. It's also their commitment to helping people who need help. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates to help communities thrive. They have over 300 giving partners across the country and the United States, including partners who help domestic abuse survivors, women who are fighting cancer, and underserved, marginalized youth. Now is a great time to try Thrive Cosmetics for yourself. Uh, right now, you can get 15% off your first order. If you don't have this mascara, you must get it, and you'll get 15% off your order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans. That's Thrive Cosmetics, and it's C-A-U-S-E, cause, C-A-U-S-E, medics. So that's thrivecosmetics.com slash dailybeans for 15% off your first order. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, idioms of the world, idiots of the Senate, misheard song lyrics, whoopee stories lovey stories, adoptable pets in your area. You want to play What the Mutt? I love that game. Send us everything you have. <laughs> Send it all to dailybeanspot.com and click on contact. Uh, first up, a little housekeeping. Good news, bad news about the t-shirts. So many people have bought them. So much money going to the How We Win Fund to help Democrats in the midterms. Bad news. For some reason, the third party vendor sent everybody a size small. We are working on fixing that. We will send you out the correct size. And I guess you could just get to keep those uh, small shirts for free. You're welcome. Just put them on, like I said yesterday, put them on your dog, put them on your mutt and send me the photos. That's what I want. All right. First up from Yashu. 
pronouns he and him. This is yesterday. Remember, uh, Yashu wrote in yesterday. We didn't get the pictures. He says, hi, AG. Sorry, those photos never sent properly. Hopefully this time they work. I'm also including a picture of Bedrock, our last kitty acquisition. That belly is not a trap. Oh, you can rub the belly. Uh, He's the only cat I've had that likes belly rubs. Also, this weekend, my wife reminded me of an old shit kid's say. When my eldest son, Zach, was about four, we took him to Liberty State Park, which is right by Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty. As we were leaving, I drove by Lady Liberty and said to him, hey, do you know who that is? His response, yeah, dad, that's the lady from Ghostbusters. (laughs) She was stomping and smashing everything. He, of course, has no recollection of this at all. Oh, this is so great. What a great photo. Look at that. Thank you for sending these these pictures. I, this was the Madison Square Garden uh, concert with his 17-year-old, who at one, one point said, it's the lady from Ghostbusters about the Statue of Liberty and the kitty. Hi, kitty, kitty. Next up from Nick, pronouns he and him. Hi, AG, is a regular listener from Australia, now living in the UK. I've been with you since the early Muller She Wrote days, and I love your podcast because it wraps up the news, comedy, and true crime genres all into one neat package. I came across the following story about a David and Goliath from Australia, which I thought you would find interesting because it means that the whole Fox News election lie issue was not only an issue in the Dominion voting case, but will also play out in the Australian courts. We'll have a link to this article in the description of the show. And it's from The Guardian. What game is he playing? Lachlan Murdoch, Trump's election lies, and the legal fight against a small Australian website. I think I remember this. Uh, Apologies if you have already mentioned it on your podcast. I have a long drive coming up, so I'm saving a dozen or so episodes for the drive. For pet tax, I have attached a couple photos of Luna, our lovely rescue cat. The first photo is of her when she was only a few months old with plenty of attitude. And the second is when his ruff had fully grown out. Notice the difference? Keep up the great work. Nick. Thank you, Nick. Okay. Oh, yeah. Look at that bib. That's very handsome. And I'm glad he's helping you with your jigsaw puzzle uh, in case you uh, can't see these photos because you don't have a premium feed. The cat, you know, cute little tuxedo cat. Second picture, same tuxedo cat, but with a very long, but the, the white bib is now long and luxurious, but also standing on an unfinished jigsaw puzzle because that's how they help. Next up from Jason, pronouns he and him. Hello, Beans Queens. Just thank you for all you do. I live in Florida and you guys help keep me slightly more sane while being stuck deep in Trump country. For my pet tax, I submit pics of my dog, Lando. He was rescued in Orlando, hence the name. We just celebrated his third birthday this month. I adopted him almost two years ago. I'm interested to hear what sort of mix you guys think he may be because he's a lab mix on paper. He's a big stressed out mess and a goofball and I love him so much. Thanks for all you do. Oh, goodness sakes. (laughs) What's he holding? Does he have a ball under his chin? He is so cute. It looks like lab pit bull, maybe Staffordshire Terrier. Just adorable, though. (gasps) Oh, I love this baby. Well, black and white. Reminds me of the little rascal's dog. Thank you for sending these photos. They're so lovely. What a baby. Hello, puppy. I love dogs. Okay. Next up from Kristen, pronouns she and her. Honest question. New to my job. Have a conference in Dallas in October. How do I go about asking to move it as I no longer feel safe going to states that actively prohibit my health care? Hmm. How am I taken seriously when I will still go, but hate giving any money to these states? Help? Pet tax. 
18-year-old polydactyl Jax. He outdates the hubs by a month and won't let anyone forget it. Also, one-year-old Birdie, the Bernie, rescued from a puppy mill in Missouri through the most amazing Bernie rescue group. Besides my two young girls, six and seven, these are my babies, I work so they can have the best life possible. Read 18-year-old Kitty. Ooh, 18-year-old Kitty. Um, that's a good question, Kristen. How long is the conference? I wonder. And maybe, um, I don't know. There's so many variables, right? Like how good is your relationship with your boss? Can you talk to your boss about being worried about going there? How long will you be there? Will it, will it impact your health? Could, could it possibly maybe just state your case that, you know, you're concerned about your business, the, the company that you work for, work for spending money on these states? I, you know, I guess it really depends on whether or not you're willing to risk your job, how much of a dick your boss is, or, you know, if they'll take it constructively and not hold it against you. Like they do that to us as women sometimes. I mean, I don't know. I need more information. Feel free to send, send in more information or shoot me a DM on Twitter at Muller She Wrote. We can chat about it in depth. You know, I'm always like, just, you know, speak your mind, but that can also cost you your job. And some people can't afford to lose their jobs. So stuff has to be weighed, right? Look at these babies. Oh, the dog. <laughs> Is that a Bernie's what, mountain dog, water dog? So amazing. Let's see, 18 years old for this kitty with the thumbs. This, I have to tell you, I just want to, I want to cuddle with a dog. I'm so glad. Yeah, Bernie. Oh, it's a Bernie. That's a Bernie's mountain dog. Right. You rescued from a puppy mill in Missouri. I wonder how big, how big is, is the Bernie? He's got a great blep. They're just such beautiful dogs. They're so docile and they think they're tiny. You know, we had a Pyrenees kind of close in breed. The love seat was his chair. Uh, he took up the whole thing. You couldn't sit on there if he was on there. But he would try to come and just sit on your lap if you were up there before he was. He thought he was tiny. He was just a sweetheart. All right, next up from Connor, pronouns he and him. Good news, my fellow democracy defenders. My brother-in-law, Matt Chappelle, is running in a state senator here in Rhode Island, District 11. Bristol Portsmouth, Rhode Island, is very blue. Anyway, so no concern that it goes red, but I want to promote him because he's great. He's a great candidate. He's exactly the type of caring, hardworking, and logical person that needs to be serving in our government. Local races matter. Yes, they do. He is currently a young local attorney who is heavily involved with the community and wants to help defend democracy on the front lines. Please support Democrat Matthew, I, I hope I'm saying Chappelle right, it could be Chapel, for state Senate in District Number 11 if you live in Bristol, Rhode Island, or Portsmouth. Go vote in the primary before September 13th. This show is awesome. It makes me feel more comfortable with my constant need to swear. I feel like I drop a nice what the fuck on a daily basis when I look at the news that the right side of the political world is generating. Glad I'm not alone there. My tax here is our rescue pups, two brindles, Maggie Brown and Cash Black. They are mixes of pit bull, boxer, bulldog, and some other odd breeds here and there. Also included is a picture of a dog that will always be in our hearts, Bo the Rescue Mastiff. Oh, Bobo. He was a big, big love and the best friend of my oldest son. They slept together every single night, had to buy a two-year-old a queen bed so his dog could fit. 
Bo passed from kidney failure at age three, but the pup will always be loved and remembered by our family. Also, can I just say how nice it is that you do a good news segment? Pets, kids, kind acts. It stands in such stark contrast to the right-wing podcasts that spew nothing but evil, doom, and gloom. How can any sane person listen to this good news segment and think Dan Bongino is right? These damn libs are evil. Like, who can call puppies evil? I'll never understand them. And I use this segment as an example of the difference between the parties and their media support. Appreciate you ladies and what you're doing for our country. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. That is seriously so sweet, Connor. Thank you. Okay, these pictures are awesome. Look at Bobo. That's adorable. And so is the little... So those little boys, is that an R2-D2 bike helmet? That's badass. And then the two dogs, the two brindles. Oh, so much love. Hello again, Mastiff at the end. Oh, what a honey. Oh my gosh, thank you for sending these in. Everybody, thank you for sending in your good news stories. It really does set us apart from the right-wing fascists that take up the airwaves and just, you know, people just feed on that hate and anger and it's just, it's awful. So I'm very glad that you're here. I'm very glad that you're listening. We also have an episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 out today. We go into some of the Lindsay and Mar-a-Lago filings in, in depth. And, uh, you know, so check that out, Andrew and I. Uh, it's pretty fun. And I'll be back tomorrow with, with more beans. I think, let me see, Dana comes back. I have it in my calendar. Do, 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 do. No, Dana, no, Dana. She comes back Sunday, so she will be back on the air with me in just a few days. Thank you all for your patience while I do this alone, while I, while I steer the ship alone. I really appreciate your support and your love. And uh, please, again, send in your good news stories at dailybeanspod.com. Just click on contact. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>